Good morning. It's February 16th. It's a cold, gusty morning in New York City, and this is your Indignity Morning Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Skoka, taking a look at the day and the news. Russia announced this morning that opposition leader Alexei Navalny is dead. Having survived poisoning and various other abuses, he dropped dead, according to the official account, at the Arctic prison where Russia had sent him last year. The authorities in Kansas City finally cleared up the question of which kind of mass shooting the carnage at the city's Super Bowl parade was. On page A16, but with four bylines, six additional reporting credits, and two researcher credits, this morning's New York Times reports that the two suspects being held are teenagers, and the shooting appeared to be the result of an argument. Missouri has no limitations on adults carrying guns, and state law prohibits any localities from passing stricter measures on their own. On page one, Israel, as expected, attacked Nasser Medical Complex in Khan Yunis in Gaza, killing and wounding several people, the Times reports, including at least one doctor and a patient. According to a doctor there, as well as the charity Doctors Without Borders, which had staff members at the hospital, and Gaza Health authorities. The specific casualty claims, the Times adds, like many assertions in the conflict, could not be immediately confirmed. What does confirmed mean exactly? You've got the Gaza Health authorities, whose casualty reports throughout the war have generally held up, despite accusations and insinuations by Americans and Israelis, backed up by a witness, backed up in turn by a famously scrupulous international humanitarian organization. But the dateline on the story is Cairo, because Israel won't let reporters into Gaza, and so their reward for restricting the press is this strangely unearned skepticism about whether what they seem to be doing, and people say they're doing, is what they're doing. Anyway, as the Times writes, the Nazareth Medical Complex is, or maybe was, the largest hospital still functioning in the Gaza Strip. Next to that is a piece of news analysis by Peter Baker, which mistakes an involuted argument for an expansive one, under the headline, Trump's scorn for alliances isn't his alone. The claim here is that Donald Trump has tapped into the ancient American tradition of isolationism, a phenomenon more deeply rooted than the Trump movement itself, The evidence for the larger resonance of Trump's hostility to alliances is um, that Trump supporters cheered at a Trump rally when Donald Trump, who they'd come to see, said bad things about NATO. As further evidence that there's something bigger than Donald Trump going on, Baker goes on to discuss the failure of the aid and border package in the Senate, writing, Even some of the most outspoken Republican hawks in the Senate voted against the aid, most notably Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, who opposed the package after speaking with Mr. Trump. Mr. Graham, who has long promoted muscular American leadership and portrayed himself as a ferocious backer of Ukraine and Israel, joined his Republican colleagues in demanding tougher action to secure the United States' border with Mexico, even at the cost of the Allies. I mean, Lindsey Graham, your evidence for a deep, substantive shift in how America perceives its role in the world is that Lindsey Graham talked a big game about something and then reversed himself when Donald Trump told him to reverse himself? You're getting paid to write a front-page news analysis piece in the New York Times that depends on the premise that Lindsey Graham is operating on some kind of principle? Trump movement follows Trump. That's your story. Elsewhere on page one, the Times checked in on the Fannie Willis hearing down in Georgia under the headline, Sparks Fly as DA in Georgia is Grilled on Her Relationship. It's nice to see the Times acknowledge that something being spicy can make it worth putting on the front page. But yesterday was a pretty busy day in presidential legal news, and was day one of a hearing into whether one of the district attorneys, 
prosecuting Donald Trump, had had an inappropriate relationship with his subordinate, the most newsworthy event of the day. The Times notes, the allegations of an improper relationship between the prosecutors have no direct bearing on the merits of the case against Mr. Trump and 18 other defendants. Meanwhile, down below that on the jump page, A14, comes the report that yesterday in New York, a judge went ahead and scheduled Donald Trump's trial on New York State criminal charges surrounding his alleged scheme to pay hush money to Stormy Daniels, setting March 25th as the day for jury selection to begin. Of the two Trump-related hearings yesterday, Atlanta and New York, this is the one that Donald Trump showed up at, and this is the one that actually produced news. The Times writes that the decision by the judge will reorient the public perception of Mr. Trump's convoluted legal conundrum, drawing the nation's bleary eyes to Manhattan. Yeah, I guess. Vibes aside, though, it will sit his ass down in a criminal courtroom to be on trial for a crime. Personally, I would have put that fact on page one. Also on page A15, at the bottom of the page, is the news that the FBI informant, who claimed that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden tried to get millions of dollars in bribes from the Ukrainian company Burisma, was indicted for lying about it. Again, a pretty substantive development in an ongoing news story in which the claims by the informant, Alexander Smirnov, made it all the way to Congress. The Times writes, Republicans pressured the FBI to release internal reports after they learned of Mr. Smirnov's claims. In May last year, Representative James R. Comer of Kentucky, the Republican chairman of the House Oversight Committee, threatened to hold the Bureau's director, Christopher A. Ray, in contempt if he did not disclose some details. In July, after Mr. Ray complied, Senator Charles E. Grassley, Republican of Iowa, released a copy of an FBI report that included the false allegation without naming Mr. Smirnov or questioning its veracity. He then described Mr. Smirnov's claims as very significant allegations from a trusted FBI informant implicating then-Vice President Biden in a criminal bribery scheme. Or not. Nobody's perfect. That is the news. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to Indignity to keep us going. Have a fine weekend and celebrate the presidents of your choice. And if all goes well, we will talk again next week.